Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 49. I'm joined this week with my co-casters, Ed Wynn of Kerwin's Gaming, Jim Caselli of Caselli Enterprises, and Travis Allen of the Buffalo Broads. This week we have a couple topics to mess around with. Uh, first off, Ed, you just literally returned maybe two minutes ago from GP Mexico City. You know, that was a pretty long trip. Anything in particular that's different between the Mexican grading system and Mexican finance versus the United Versus Morocco's finance, maybe? Uh, to be clear, I was there on vacation, so it's being able to speak to the finance of things oh, is going to be very limited. I just said you returned from GP, Mexico. City. Right. On yeah. vacation. You just returned. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yep. you go to 30 GPs a year for work, and then on vacation you go to a GP? I go to 30 GPs for vacation a year. Um, uh, yeah, unless they're in the U.S. It's always business when it's in the U.S. He allegedly um, goes to GPs for fun on vacation. Right. Yes. No, no, confirmed vacation. Anyways, uh, for the most part, the GP was – it was a very small Grand Prix. There were only 148 teams. It was inside a hotel venue, so there just wasn't a lot of room. that It could only fit – I think we had maybe like 600 players in the in the entire room at any one time, six to 700 um, lots of cards were super cheap um, to buy. They were just um, they were just like a lot of cards were super beat, so you just paid accordingly. Lots of <clears throat> lots of casual cards. Uh, EDH is huge there. Casual is huge, uh, mainly because people just can't afford to keep up with standard and modern. Um, it's not really a thing to constantly update your decks, so people. Uh, People like like going through bulk, picking out like the cheap, you know, twenty to like hundred peso rares, which are like one to five dollars. Those tend to do well. Otherwise, pretty uneventful Grand Prix. So nothing super interesting. It's not like it's not like a Japanese market or European market where there's a lot of flipping to do between A cards and B cards. You're basically just trying to take in what you can and uh, get rid of stuff that would basically normally move. They use the Star City pricing method. So they basically just take whatever Star City has at price and then convert the pesos. Well, sounds like uh, it might have been a fun vacation where you where you were able to get a peso de action. Um, you know, we had a couple more Omnicat spoilers uh, emerge, basically. And the community's response right away was... Uh, the set sucks. Why is Wizards printing these cards? You know, oh, it's cool that they did this flashback of the worm with the embalming, but everything sucks. Why didn't we get Heroes Downfall? So you guys, do you guys think that, um, especially with these invocations and, you know, the, the really weird lettering and templating, is this set bad or is our Magic players just being more general than normal and more negative than normal? This is a shining example of people just like getting more and more down on it. It seems to have it seems to have gone like much worse over time. Um, I like I think once as soon as someone says this set's bad, literally everyone just gets on board, and then the, like before even giving anything a chance, before we even see the full set, the like it just seems to be the overwhelming response is this set's bad, which is just completely ridiculous. Like I. I think people don't give Wizards enough credit for, like, how hard they work, how hard it is to develop a set from top-down or whatever. Like, these are types of things that it's very, very hard to do. 
And while for us, it's easy to say like, oh, they messed up when, you know, like they should have seen Splinter Twin or Hard Carry is obviously busted before that. Smuggler's Copter is obviously busted before that. Emrakul is obviously busted. It's easy enough to say that in hindsight, but when you have a very, very small group of people trying to do a very, very large task, which is appeal to 20 million Magic players or whatever, you're not going to make everyone happy. And for all the bad feedback you hear about the set, I think there's plenty of people who are just going to be thinking, wow, this set would be very cool, very fun to play with. But you, you like it's fine to not necessarily agree with anything. Like I don't think the invocations look great, but like I'm 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 not ready to just like completely get down on the set yet. And for like in terms of finance, most of the stuff is if people are down on it, this is the time for people to be buying in. If you think you there's something that's interesting, there's something that has a unique effect, like this is the time when you want to be getting into it before people start to catch on that, oh, this format uh, like this mechanic or whatever is actually busted. That would work if Asphar told wasn't thirty dollars. Well, it took only one day for people to reread that card and realize that you could cast spells for that much or less. So I don't feel like that's the kind of card that you're going to be able to uh, make any kind of money on, and probably you'll lose a bunch of money because $30 Mythic Rares are pretty much unheard of at this point. Yeah, you know, as financiers, we do have to thank uh, As Foretold for uh, spiking a bunch of cards. Uh, Former cast member Douglas Johnson, along with Travis, uh, we're both very high on restore balance, wheel of fate, all these suspend effects that now are way better um, without this deck having even uh, made any results. You know, I was having this argument with Travis before the cast that um, he should lock in his profits now because he bought in relatively low. And, you know, uh, the problem with uh, MTG Finance is you can be very greedy uh, when it comes to your profits and loss. Um that Travis might want to hold on to them because the deck does have legs. Uh, these cards could go even higher. Um, personally, I'd rather lock it in. I mean, we did sell out of our store balance, so I, I own zero copies right now online or in a shop. But um, I'd rather just get rid of these cards and uh, restore balance to my wallet. I like how you just jumped ahead of my segment to speak in order to slam me for deciding not to sell my restore balances. Yep. Uh, I think that, um, I don't know. The thing is with Amonkhet, the first thing we saw was the invocations, right? Like that was basically the first thing that we saw and they were pretty much universally disliked for pretty valid reasons, which set a, a strong tone for how the set was going to proceed. Cause everything was like, well, the invocations suck. What else are we getting? And it just hasn't gone over well. Add to that. I think the return of cycling, people might've been looking for more power. You kind of wanted some astral slide. We got a, mis a fake miscalculation that people believe for a few minutes. So I don't know. I don't, and plus, you know, Twitter's also kind of a real echo sphere, echo chamber. So I don't know if magic players dislike it any more or less than they normally do. Uh, but, I mean, so far, there just hasn't been anything in the set really thrilling. The gods are less interesting than Theros's were. The Masterpiece series is less inter interesting. People have been waiting a long time for an Egyptian set, and it just doesn't seem like it really it really got there. And the funny thing you should say is, like, you say that, like, less than half of the set is spoiled at this point still. So, you know, we still don't know what two of the five gods do. We don't know what most of the other myth. Like, there's other mythic rares that we don't know what they do. There's a ton of rares that we don't know what they do. Yeah, but only like 40% of the set matters, right? Like every common is virtually irrelevant. Sure, sure. I mean, that's, well, I mean, there's there's a non-zero amount of commons and uncommons that are relevant, but we don't know that, that, that the ones that are relevant are the ones that have been spoiled already, right? Like, 
Fatal Push is obviously a very is is outside of the normal bounds of what would be a quality common or uncommon, but we don't know if that's a card like that quality of card is in the set because we don't know how all the cards in the set yet. Like that's just that's just the math on that. Like we don't know everything in the set, so it's really hard to be mad at what's in it so far when you don't know all the things that are in it. I don't know. I and I think that people were expecting too much, and some people on Twitter, especially and and on Reddit and stuff like social media, were expecting cards of a power level that we just don't see anymore. And I don't. I don't know. They're they're they were thinking. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to like describe it in words, but basically, I think that people's expectations were too high going in, and I think that everyone's being disappointed because of that. And you also have to look at the embalm mechanic of corpse. Um, there's certain things that uh, you people don't worst. like, like the oblivion ring angel. Um, you know, I'd rather have admonition angel or something like that in that slot. I'm not a big fan of like a five mana angel that just dies to pretty much everything. Um, as far as like black removal goes, like pretty much everyone has grasp at this point that everything can die when you play it. So I'm not a big fan of the embalm mechanic. It, it seems like a real headache for uh, newer players, especially, but you know, the set will probably still sell cards. It'll be a medium set. It won't be a home run set like return or Ravnica or another old set that was just basically free money. Um, so I'm just looking at it as I'll open maybe a couple cases less than I normally do and just still pick up uh, invocations for even cheaper because there's not going to be any demand there. So I think the set's like a 4 out of 10 at this point. I mean, there's there's definitely, like, I think some of this set is still... You don't know how good the cards are or how they play because we haven't played with them yet, obviously. So I feel like a lot of people that are like, oh, it's uninteresting, or, or everything seems overpriced, like too much mana to cast it. Like, we haven't played with any of the cards yet. We don't know how they slot into what is being played right now on Standard. There's nothing that's obviously very powerful, but I don't think that these are out of the realm of possibility of being played. Like, I don't think that a lot of these cards are very far off from being very good, and a lot of these cards are also synergy cards that we probably just don't have the enablers for yet or haven't seen them spoiled yet. So I think it's really too early to say, like, man, these cards are garbage because X, Y, Z reason. Like, I think this is set is going to end up a lot like uh, Dragons of Tarkir, where people were just expecting them to be bad. They were just expecting everything to not be worth anything and not be as good as they were advertised. And we'll see people slowly catch on and be like, oh, actually this card is not as bad as it looks. It's actually very good. And then the cards will go up in price accordingly. Yeah, like I think Dragons of Tarkir is definitely a very good analogy. Um like I mean, like pre, like prior to the Pro Tour, Dragonlord Ojutai was single di digits. Um, after Esper Dragons won the Grand Prix the following weekend, it was like a twenty-five to thirty dollar card for a good amount of time. Uh, Dragon Silmgar was uh, caught on. It went from basically like a bulk mythic to six to ten dollars, and basically hovered there for most of its lifespan in standard. Uh, lots of just like these cards that, on the surface, they don't look powerful, but cards don't get expensive necessarily in a vacuum unless they're old cards. Like in standard, most cards rely on, <clears throat> rely on synergy nowadays. And that's really what you want me looking for 
And I think realistically, like before pre-sales go up, I'm going to start like, I'm, I'm just going to start scouting kind of the pricing patterns and seeing like, wow, like at, you know, $2, is it really going to break my bank to buy like, you know, 200 copies of this card and just buy out the internet? Because if that happens, right, as soon as people see, oh, this, this mythic is sold out on Star City, right? People are going to immediately think that, it, it, so the Star City's algorithm, as soon as something pre-sells, they have a lot of quantity, as soon as it sells out, they're going to raise a price and they're going to continue to raise the price as long as the card sells. And when the card stops selling, then they'll lower the price. And it doesn't take very much people. There's not a ton of places that you can reliably pre-order. People will pre-order from Channel Firewall, from Star City, the bigger sites. Um, and as soon as you see like these small shifts in the market, like people, it's going to catch people's attention. Like the most recent example is Herald Anguish, right? That card was like a card, like has not done anything at all. It's entire lifetime and standard, but it pre-sold like 10 to $12 at its high point even though there was nothing more than, hey, this card is 1,800 yen in Japan and a lot of people are trying to break it. And that's enough to make a card expensive, even if it doesn't pan out in any way, shape, or form. And that's like, if you really want to get like a, ahead of the curve in Amiket, like that's what you should be doing, especially as soon as the entire set spoilers drop. Nice point. Anything else anyone wants to add to that before we move on? Are we still on the Amiket question? Because I had to walk away because my dog was stealing treats. Yeah, we're still on Amiket. Is there anything else that you want to add? Oh, no. Okay. Hope, um, as foretold, makes restore balance good. And then I get to sell them at $30 and rub Jeremy's face in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, we've, we've seen some... Uh, price trends lately that I'm sure Ed knows way too much about. Uh, Modern Masters 2. These boxes were basically lottery. All boxes are lottery tickets, but Modern Masters 2 has been a, a lottery ticket unlike any other lottery ticket recently with almost all the money tied up in Mythics. Uh, we started to see a bunch of the rares and uncommons from this set trend upwards. Dismember, Eldrazi Temples at an all-time high. Um... What's it called? Surgical Extraction is now worth $20. Leyline of Sanctity is now worth $25. Do you guys think that there's a play on Modern Masters 2 boxes that you would want to jump in on them at? Or do you think just stay away and focus on singles? Uh, keep in mind, we're also seeing with Modern Masters 1 at this point, we're seeing uh, Rift, Bolt, Lava Spike, all these cards trend up as burn gets cheaper. I'm not sure if Leyline's going up because of the... It's been on sale for two years, essentially, where players had two years to pick up cards, and now with fetches entering, we've seen a higher increase in demand, or with Burn picking up more slots in Modern, which Jim would probably know about as far as where Burn is positioned, Leyline's just going up naturally because it's a good answer to Burn. Leyline's not very good against Burn. Sorry to let you know. A lot of people think it's good against Burn, and that's why they buy them, but in, at the end of the day, it's like, not particularly good. I think part of that, the the ley line of Sanctity, especially being more popular, is because it's very good against uh, the uh, discard out of the uh, Death Shadow decks, which are very numerous. Like four Inquisition, four Thoughtseize decks are quite good against a lot of people. And being able to just play like, like you know, turn zero or ley line can make half their hand dead, and they might have to like. Inquisition and thought sees themselves just to like get the cards flowing. 
I, I think like the thing about the Mar Masters cards, like Leyline is kind of in that boat where we kind of see this cyclic pattern where Mar Masters 2 is kind of in that sweet spot where, oh, these cards like have been basically out of print for two years now, right? There's obviously just no more supply being injected into a market. So those are types of cards that will start going up. It, we saw the exact same phenomenon when Mar Masters uh, 2015 dropped, right? Everyone was like, oh, there's a huge demand for modern. Like these card cards, I can now get cheap. But things like Kitchen Finks was like, you know, there was a time when it was like probably like twelve to fourteen dollars. It's gone down a little bit since then, but like that was definitely a very high point for Kitchen Finks at that time. Uh, Rift bolts, like uh, lava spikes, those things, like those did well back then. And I think looking at Mar Masters 2015 as some sort of play, like there's definitely cards in there. Um, like I think on the last cast I had mentioned the cartouche, uh, the white cartouche. Um, like, if Boggles becomes a deck, Daybreak Cornet is going to be monstrously expensive again. Um, uh, like, it's, like, those types of things that if you want to make a play, like, I think there's still a little bit of room. It's basically, like, this entire market, you're basically just trying to be one step ahead of everyone else. Um, and those types of things, it's a relatively small investment. Uh, and worst case, if it doesn't pan out, you're out, like, a small amount. And a card like Daybreak Cornet, like, you can still trade off, play... Uh, to casuals, whatever. Like, there's definitely no shortage of, like, or base sex and EDH. Um, so, like, Daybreak Corner is a good one. Leyline has already... We've already seen the same thing that happened Leyline that happened at Surgical. Um, boxes are definitely hard to find. I've definitely noticed an increase in people wanting to draft the sets. A lot of people... There's definitely an uptick in interest in people wanting to draft, like, all three together. So there seems to be an increase in demand for those as well. Um, there's definitely lots of low opportunities depending on like the level of investment you all make where you, there's definitely money to be made on singles or boxes. I so, would, yeah, wait, 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 wait. I would just say my perspective from the guy who doesn't own a shop, uh, but does a lot of trying to buy and flipping is that, um, I would stay away from modern masters two boxes in general. I think there is opportunity in there the right cards are valuable, but sealed product uh, as just an armchair guy is really difficult to deal with uh, and really turn a profit on. The shipping costs are a pain in the ass. And even if stuff like Rift Bolt goes from a quarter, excuse me, a quarter to $3, you still have to realize that profit somewhere. And those small margins are really easy for a store to deal with. But for guys like me, like I have one, one, you know, one or two uh, Rift Bolts in a box, like I guess I can sell them on TCG Player maybe, or I can buy less them for a dollar or so. Most for the most part, unless you can get a steal on it, stay away from the sealed product. But there are definitely some good targets in there. So then, what are you doing, Travis? As far as with your money right now, if you're not investing in sealed product, and you're not getting more money into the equation uh, because either you're not selling these or store balances, or you took a beating on beck and calls. Uh, well, I have a large enough fund available for this that I'm not really at a shortage of not selling those cards doesn't mean that I can't buy other things, but most of my money has been flowing into Europe right now. Do you want to get into that or do you, are you going to be writing an article about that? Uh, well, we talk about it on fast finance. Um, there's just uh, opportunity in the same way that people used to buy, you know, I do arbitrage from Japan. There's a lot of opportunities like that in Europe. So uh, that's where I've been spending a lot of my, time yeah um european finance is something i really haven't looked into i know that there's a, a check uh, god i don't even want to know how to pronounce that word dealer on twitter it's like thomas v 
Uh, he owns Black Something Games. They do a lot of European uh, GPs. But um, he always reaches out to finance people about, hey, do you want to set up European arbitrage? As far as like uh, stuff that's obviously way less expensive over there, and then they need stuff that goes for more over in Europe. Um, the interesting thing is we've started to see a proliferation of European vendors at these GPs. I noticed like one at GP Vegas last year, maybe two. And now at the smaller size GPs, we're starting to see a lot of just straight up European vendors. So I guess there is a market for that, Travis. That's just something I haven't really uh, expanded on. But yeah. yeah. I, I never dug into it either until, uh, you know, James, I don't, I think he was the one that kind of like was like, we should look at this. And he ended up finding somebody and we've just kind of been, you know, set it up that, that arrangement. So it's, I mean, it's not an option for most people. It's a pain in the ass and there's a level of trust required. Um, you know, but if you have the opportunity there, it's worth exploring at least. But I mean, it is, it is definitely a more sizable investment than a lot of people are probably into. You know, it's, 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 if you're not going to be spending several thousand dollars, it's not worth the effort. Well, I think it is if, say, you're a small fish in the water and you're just starting out and listening to this cast, you have a couple hundred bucks to throw away, I mean, buy cards with, um, you can reach out to these people because they're always happy to make a deal if it's worth their time. Um, now, obviously, as a backpack person, it may not be worth your time if it's not, you know, if it's under $1,000. But if you're just trying to get cards for cheaper off MTG card market, there's plenty of people, especially on Quiet Speculation, that are happy to do that for you to get cheaper cards. Yeah, so if your goal is like, I want to play modern and I need a couple play sets of stuff and it's 20 or 30% lower on GCG player and these are cards you want to buy anyways, it might be worth the effort. If you are, if you have somewhere between 50 and $500 and you're like, I want to in, you know, kind of try and flip some magic cards and make some money on the stock market. This it's the, this is not worth the effort for you. Um, so it's one thing if you're buying for personal use, but if you're just trying to make a profit, it's easier to do it elsewhere. And speaking of buying for personal use, I have never felt so happy buying cards for EDHs like I have lately, just cause Constructed is still sort of whatever, and casual will always be there. Um, so, like a lot of finance people will play these competitive modern formats or competitive standard formats, but sometimes it just feels nice. I think as Jim is beginning to understand to pay seven dollars for a card that you know that isn't going to go down and it's going to smash your local group's play table. So it's nice to get back to the roots of casual magic occasionally. Yeah, you know every. Um... Every roughly three months, every set or two, I will place go to place an order for something that I'm specking on. Like I found, um, I, know, I found a couple copies of something recently, and I was like, you know, I haven't actually checked out like um, Aether Revolt that closely. So I, you know, it's been a couple months. The prices have really settled. I pull up the Aether Revolt spoiler and I just flip through all the cards. I'm like, oh, this one could be interesting. This one could be good. And I just like buy one, a ton of one ofs, a lot of foils and stuff. And it's like 40 bucks and I get a bunch of cool cards. And I mean, I have half of these I will probably never put in a sleeve. Uh, but yeah, it's fun to like actually go buy cards that you're going to play with. <laughs> yeah, all right. I mean, Jeremy is telling us in chat that we have a surprise guest, a surprise what is it? God, what is it? How do they phrase that? A mystery, the fighting games when there's we, a... So for those who are not listening live, we run this live as a YouTube, um, as a YouTube stream every week so that we can see people... Challenger appears, that's what it is. React in real time. Uh, we, the, one of the head guys for MTG Deals who has been a mainstay at the GP circuit, 
wants to come on. He was very mad last week about what Ed had said as far as um, his vacations and uh, where he's going with his money. So I think he wants to admonish Ed a little bit here. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to him real quick while we're live. If Jim wants to cover for a second on casual magic at his local place. Uh, I mean, I don't know what, what, what really is to say. Um, Casual magic is kind of the best. You don't have to go there and play at certain times. You just get a group of friends together Nobody cares who wins and who loses usually, and you just get to drink, have a good time. Like, I kind of miss playing tournament magic sometimes, but I played some at the Grand Prix, and like the salt levels of people that try hard just are the worst now to me. Like, I don't have any desire to really, uh, I don't want to say achieve, but like, I don't, I don't really have any goals, any competitive goals to, uh, to reach for anymore so i feel like i have a new outlook on those kind of people for better or for worse yeah like there's plenty of ways to enjoy casual magic for example you can make it so that um uh jim and ed can't cast cards when we're playing a friendly game of edh and make all their stuff uh cost more and then they're not able to draw cards with possess portal casual magic is definitely the way to go especially yeah, when you're so, playing with co so, yeah uh, we played we played a three player free for all game of EDH at the Grand Prix, and uh, Jeremy's kind of an asshole and plays a mono red like stack stack, which just wants nobody to play any magic ever. So it's the actual worst, and I'm happy that he the lost. ugliest lands possible. Yes, also the ugliest lands possible. Do you want to introduce to people exactly what it is that you do and why we're having you on the cast? So last minute. He's just Hi. ready to talk shit to Jeremy, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's a plus. I'm Paul Fudo. I used to be the head buyer for MTG Deals, and I'm the pricing manager, so I just do all their buying from home and set our individual sales pri- er, sales singles prices for buy list and sale. I set prices for a seal product. So I used to be on the road a lot more, and now I just do a lot of stuff from home. And, uh, yeah, I've been doing the GP thing for a little while. So as MTG Deals top card monkey, is there anything that you've listened to in our last cast as far as uh, what we might have been doing wrong when declaring it customs or uh, what Ed is probably doing wrong with uh, his domestic business? Or, or what Jim is doing in, wrong with his hair. <laughs> or just in general, uh, the channel fireball package that a lot of these vendors had Mexico City included just as a way to get a cheaper GP Vegas or a, che- or a cheaper set of boosts for the for the year. I mean, we basically did the same thing. Like GP Mexico wasn't going to have a big turnout. the The vendor to player ratio wasn't going to be good, and generally that market's going to be much more about purchasing very niche cards, very underprinted cards, rather than a lot of like mass volume. You know, it's easy to pick up judge foils and maybe some pre-constructed decks from people who busted a bunch. But yeah, I mean, Mexico is basically just kind of, it was kind of free. Like if you got the full package, you got extended boosts everywhere else. So it didn't really matter. Um, as far as what Ed went into, I mean, uh, people's personal business with how they conduct their business is, well, their business. And I don't really want to get into quite all that because it's not my problem. Um, Give them the business. <laughs> I mean, as far as Japan goes, like the arbitrage stuff you talked about is interesting. Europe definitely now is uh, getting more explored because basically the Facebook finance groups have really helped globalization within the game. 
But yeah, I mean, Europe's been there for a while. Like someone said, talked in the chat about how people were getting like old German cards even back in the day because it was cheaper. That's absolutely true. And yeah, we have had some European vendors that have come in more recently, like Alessio and the other Italian. Some of the German vendors have been here a few times, and you know you can tell pretty easily. And there's, but the thing is, like if you're going to interact with them at like a U.S. booth. They all know U.S. prices, like they're professionals, guys. So you're not really going to get that type of arbitrage opportunities there. But it's definitely worth trying to network if you have enough money to really get something going. I mean, to be fair, no one can be a professional card monkey. We're just all buying for a certain price and selling for a certain price. I wouldn't call that professional. If it pays your rent, it's professional, right? Uh, if it makes you feel any better, Jeremy, I've never thought of you as a professional. That's great. Neither do I. So we are on the exact same level, Travis. Uh, Paul, you know, this is more a finance cast more than it is a GP vendor cast. Is there anything from the booth side back when you used to uh, sit behind the booth for 14 hours and hate your life that you would give to people who it's maybe their first Grand Prix that they're going to in Vegas or the best way to get prices when they're dealing with people in person? I mean, it's the same sort of thing dealing with anybody. I mean, uh, people don't really want to hear it, but like bedside manner works both ways. Like the amount of people that Ed has had to talk to that just, you know, they smell bad. They're just being jerks because they got mono screwed last round. And you have to try and tell them a number on a card that you bought a hundred of. So the number went down and they're thinking to what they paid two weeks ago. It creates a negative customer interaction and a negative just interaction period. So just knowing what you want, being just reasonable, and honestly, talking to the guy or girl, whoever, you know, it's going to just give you a better experience. Obviously, if you have premium stuff like Tarmogoyfs, you should do a walk around the room, see what people are buying, see what CFB is buying, things like CFB is buying things out with a credit bump, same with cool stuff, same with SCG, because you can definitely play credit bump arbitrage at these events if this is what you're really trying to do, and especially if they're international vendors where some of the marketing is a little bit different. You can arbitrage fairly heavily there. So I would just get all the printed buy lists, take a piece of paper, all the boards, or take a picture of all the boards, and honestly, just be nice to people and talk to them. Because, I mean, if I'm out of a card and you say, like, you know, Channels or Star City's paying five more dollars on that, can you give me eight more? And I'm out, I'm probably just going to say yes, and no one, everyone's going to be happy. So do your research and be nice is basically the best way to put it. <laughs> so as a vendor, do you prefer that? people bring like five unmarked long rows of rares to you and just say, have fun, sort it for me, or do you prefer it when it's ogre and it's binary? So it depends. I mean, I don't like keeping track of piles. If it's ogre and it's all real stuff, like it's either, even if it's ogre and it's, sorry, real is not a good word, because there are definitely some nickels that are much better than others. But ogre's nice if you're prepared and willing to wiggle it all, then ogre's fine. You know, if GG or whatever is 35 cents in a card. Just we're paying you quarters because the 35 cent pile is an egregious disaster at Grand Prix because no one has dimes. But um, I honestly, I would prefer Ogre if it's a lot of like organized stuff. But you know, if it's a couple one rows and it's like nothing's really going on because it's round two, yeah, it's not a problem because if it's unsorted stuff like that, there may be bulk rares and things that I need because of stock and velocity issues that other vendors don't. Or that quite frankly, as someone who's on the other side of it, you don't know that I need. So Letting people, letting people see more stuff if it's not busy is not going to hurt anybody. Do you want to explain what you mean when you say GG and Ogred? So Ogred, like you said, is when things are organized by, um, by a price that you are expecting for them. So for instance, you'd have like a divider in a one row and everything behind this is quarters and then another divider and everything behind this is 50 cents. 
And it's a very simple process, which is going yes, no, yes, no, and you just sort out two piles and hand them a stack and they put it back in their box. GG is the um, subscription service from Quiet Speculation that's a buyer buy price aggregate tool, similar to the thing that MTG Price has. And between the two of them, they cover most major vendors. Um, Quiet Speculation has had some issues with um, integrating into Crystal Commerce for some people, or as Price hasn't. But other than that, it's basically the same thing for people who are trying to do their research and know exactly what type of pricing they want. That's pretty good. And Jim, speaking of quiet speculation, before Travis asks his question, you just wrote a, uh, a GP primer, I guess you could call it, for quiet speculation instead of modern nexus. Is there anything that you didn't fit into the article that you wanted to expand on with Paul here, since like this is basically the GP team at this point? Um, I don't think so. It's, it's pretty in-depth um, as far as what I can say that I've thought of. Like, I don't know, there's, obviously people will have more questions than that, but I feel like it's a pretty good, like, introduction to what you should be doing, like, things that you just shouldn't have to worry about, and, um, like, the best way to spend your time there, like, if you come with organized cards and you know how much everything is worth, like, before you get there, you're not fumbling around with your phone trying to figure out, like, do you want to sell this, like, heart of curin for $12, or is it worth, like, 50 and just, like, crap like that like you just if you just do all your homework ahead of time it'll take you like a day or two or a night or three or whatever depending on how much shit you have but it's a lot better than trying to figure it out in person okay so i have a question i have uh maybe a 5k a little less than that probably uh buy listable cards that i have put no effort into like i just thumbed through some stuff that i was getting rid of and just dropped the stuff that i was pretty sure buy listed into this box it's fairly random how much am i like is there anyone that will look through that at the gp like do i have to do something with this like what are my options with this just like stack of cards so it also depends that's one of the ones that depends on the gp and even then like if it's an actual five row basically the way that i've always had an attitude about that if it's a five row and it's like sunday and everyone's sleepy and nothing's happening then it's not an issue to go through it but i'm never going to give you super premium on anything you know you're never going to get premium for the 5k i had to slog through at a gp because like the hourly wage that i have to be paid like or the opportunity cost on my time is so high that you know, like I'm never going to battle on 50 cents versus a quarter or 50 cents versus 75 cents on cards when I have to look through a 5K that's unsorted nonsense. Like that's my own personal thing about it to sort of justify the time that if I'm going to spend this much time that you could have put in, but you're not, you know, you're going to get a little bit less money out of it. And it's nothing, it's nothing shady or anything against you. It's just that my time is not free at a GP. You know, it costs $12,000 after people's hotels, fees, booths, whatever to get to a show. And that's worth money. So what? So let me ask you this: you, I, I assume that I'll lose some money, but like, what percentage are we talking? Five percent, twenty percent, fifty percent? He doesn't well, even not, necessarily have to say. Yeah, I mean, it's not even a percentage like that. Like, it depends on. I mean, honestly, like, it goes back to what I said about bedside manner, right? Like, if you're a cool dude and there's literally nothing going on because the GP's bad, you know, it's not because it's not like it's a vig in that like we're gonna quarter the card that we should be dollaring. Like, that's not what I'm talking about whatsoever. But it's like if everyone's paying 50 cents on an uncommon and I've paid 75 cents over the weekend that I have some, I don't have a lot. You've got a bunch of 50 cents, but it takes me an hour and a half to get to them. They're going to be 50 cents, not 75. No, it's nothing like it's demonstrably like net negative. It's what your time is worth and what you want to value your time at. I don't want to value, value my high time high enough that I don't have to look through that shit. <laughs> okay. You don't get the extra quarter. 
Two things. First off, Travis, you're starting to sound like Sig because you want vendors to go through a giant thing of cards and like come up with prices on the spot. No, no, no. My point was not to say, oh, Paul, you should do everything you can to give me as much money for that box. It's I have this box and like if it's going to take me like four or five hours to sort, it's like, well, is it worth it for me to do that? If I'm going to leave 20% on the table by not bothering to sort it myself and it's going to take me four or five hours to do, it's better for me to just bring it in and let you guys deal with it. That's why I'm trying to figure it out. Well, the second thing, at least from my opinion, is uh, people like Hariuya won't touch like extremely low dollar cards, or at least they didn't used to. I know Bashar's been working on changing that. Uh, and then you have people like Caffrey who will take Ogre stuff down to three cents. And like you can bring him a box of three cents stuff and he'll okay it. That's which is nuts. obscene. Yeah. Yeah, our guys do too. I mean, we're on the very similar model to Caffrey and or at least part of it, and so we're the same way, where it's like, like most of the stuff that I have to try to fill quantity is like, this stupid edition of like fucking Doomblade that sells, sorry I used an F-bomb. Um, no, that's one. Terrible. You were saying? Oh, just like, the Ogre stuff matters, like, because that's the thing, is that it goes back to like, type of scale you're talking about, you know, if you are picking real hard, like Richard used to, like Jason does, like some of the guys on Brainstorm Brewery, and like Doug does, then it makes complete sense to Ogre it all, because you know, you're gonna get the extra 10 cents on 100 of this card and 50 of this card and whatever. But if it's the box of nonsense that Travis has, honestly, if you really know the guy, like we definitely had people that have dropped off a 5K and like, we're going to go play two rounds, do it when you do it, and let me know a number. I mean, like that takes a level of trust, but you know, it's honestly not that big a deal. I think the biggest thing is just like how you want to value your time, right? Honestly, like, like when I was getting rid of my stuff, it just... I wanted to spend as, as little time with the vendors as possible. One, because I knew their time was valuable and my time was valuable as well. The last thing I want to do is like sit there like with the vendor, have him be there looking at prices, make an offer on my card that I would have to verify that it was close to what I want. Like if you just spend just spend like one like Saturday afternoon, sit in front of Netflix with like a buy mat and just start putting stuff into piles. Yeah, it might it might like suck up your entire afternoon, but it will make the buying process like just like so so easy like i will just go through i will like the granularity is just very very high you can take cards as little as like i will take cards as little as two cents like as insane as as that sounds i bought like a 1k box in uh new jersey that contained nothing but uh guild gates and the uh come and play tap lands that gain you one life like i i bought like an entire box of those and i knew there was like the entire box was just that because the guy had more or less gone through it and i was like we bought that at bulk rate prices, three dollars for a one k. But I gave a premium to like go through and get what I wanted, basically. Or I, I think we paid less than three dollars for a one k. I think we paid like some trivial rate because no one was buying bulk. But oh, like, wait, it, was, wait, which GP was this? Uh, New Jersey. Yeah, that post made Reddit because he all, another guy traded you like a ton of bulk on Sunday for like a Judge Command Tower, if that sounds familiar, and some other stuff. No, that was San Antonio. That was a different that was vendor. San Antonio? Okay, that, yeah. was, that was the one that made the top of Reddit. It's like, look at these stupid vendors that took my bulk for a Judge Command Tower, and now I don't have to haul it back to my girlfriend, which That's is a whole other part of that bulk. Wait, what was this post? Uh, uh, some, yeah, so go someone, ahead. Someone had put a picture. They had roughly, like, that stack of bulk there, and they basically put, like, a Judge Command Tower saying, like, hey... I got rid of all these cards. I got this judge command tower. Uh, and the guy was like super proud of it, I guess. I, I don't really know. Aren't judge command towers like $30? I think yeah. he was more proud of the fact that he turned a pile of what was crap into a judge command tower. 
Yeah, yeah and, like, was actually a closet and a happy girlfriend for a magic. Yeah, and so like one of the I things probably sold all that for two hundred dollars. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that backpack grinders and people that listen to this cast of any scale can take advantage of is trading high end cards for either bulk rares, which a ton of people do at Grand Prix and locally or for just bulk commons on them and uncommons because you're basically getting 100% of whatever the card's worth. Like uh, this one of Lotus that's coming up, someone's trading Vulcan for his four shot imports that I'm valuing at three per K so he can play in the tournament. So he's bringing like, it's like some obscene number of bulk. It's, uh, it's $400 worth of bulk. So it's like 115K. And none of it's like in one case. It's in like, uh, uh, what are the plastic tubs basically. And so, like, I had him weigh the tubs so we know a, a, approximately how many cards all the tubs have. So he's going to get these four Rashad imports, but I'm going to get guaranteed $400 that I can go to a Grand Prix and sell it for. And once I pick it and all that other stuff, it's worth way more. And when you're valuing your time less, when uh, you're a backpack grinder or you're just listening to the cast and you're doing finance on the side, gives you way more time just like Doug to just pick out all the small stuff and make way more money on it than you normally would. The worst yeah, again, I ever had was a guy brought in a, a dresser drawer full of cards, and I had to pick it. That's definitely new one. I've not had anything that bad, but again, like if if you really want to maximize your times, like Trap was like, yeah, you have a five k, right? Like you said, it'll take you four to five hours. But if you're going to go to that, go go to a Grand Prix and sit down with vendors and just like hop from one vendor to another and hope that you're your you know your 5k box you have less than like 500 cards in them it's gonna take you the entire day which is the amount of time you have spent if you had just sat there at home in front of netflix and just you know like computer in one like in front of you and then like a second screen that has netflix you can you can just do all that and then your total time will be like maybe a third of that if that even because when you're doing all the works for vendors they're i think they're willing to put a lot more in Right, like, would I ever pull lingering souls out of binders? Like, probably not. Right, but if they're in, the, if someone wants twenty five cents for them, I will just like take a stack of a hundred at twenty five cents because I know I'll like I can sell them for like seventy ish cents, and that's fine. But again, like, if all your stuff is unsorted, I'm probably not going to waste my time pulling out each lingering soul and trying trying to maximize and get as much as I can out of your box because, like Paul said, like the, like my time is so much more valuable because there's no shortage of people who are waiting to sell cards. Quote that on that, bring awful. him a stack of 100 Lingering Souls at every Grand Prix until he stops buying them, and then come back to this cast and be like, well, you said you are going to buy 100. So next time you see Ed at a domestic Grand Prix, every listener of this cast needs to bring 100 Lingering Souls because we're putting him to his word there. What do you think the buying is going to look like at Vegas? you think vendors are going to be paying a lot, or it's gonna be, is it going to be a buyer's market or a seller's market at Vegas? I'm thinking sellers because there's going to be a million vendors right so wouldn't that be good for us so magic players are horrible at money so they're going to gamble it all away again and then sell everything to vendors to cover up to their wife or significant other that they lost their shirt in vegas you want to buy cards at about the first wave of the vendor uploads after vegas because everyone's going to have spent all their money and need to get money back to cover payroll on the next gp because that's honestly how you run it for Vegas because it's just going to be a mess of people. So you want to buy, buy, be looking at TCG or wherever else you buy between like two and ten days after Vegas when everyone starts cutting the market because people get undercut and vendors are going to start racing to the bottom more too just because of the financials. You got to remember that corporate taxes are due 
like the month before. So like the financial liquidity of most of these vendors is not going to be high, and that's the time when you can really snipe. Otherwise, you got to wait till like December. And at the GP itself, like again, like the, if you're willing to put in time, you could just take like quickly walk around the box. It's like, hey, take what you want, like. And honestly, like if you have some reasonable level of trust, right? There's a fair amount of people who I know that come to me regularly. They'd be happy leaving their cards at like the booth. And like Paul said, it's like, oh, like I'm gonna go play two rounds of Magic. I'm gonna go start this Mar Master draft or something. I'll come back like an hour later. Tell me how like what you pulled out of it and how much I have. And I've definitely done that, people. And like those people, like they're just way, way up there in terms of people I'm willing to go on a limb for, give better numbers for, because they've done their research. They they're not wasting my time. And they're just trying to get in out as quickly as possible. And if you're willing to do it in Vegas, you can probably move that 5K, like probably in under an hour with how many vendors there are and how like how much people are willing to spend in Vegas. So, so you're you're telling me I should show up to Vegas, drop my 5K off at your booth, walk away, or walk up to you and say, Ed, you deal with this. I'll be back in a couple hours. <laughs> Vegas I mean, might not be the best room for that, depending on how nutso it is. But like at a, normally, yeah, it's not really an issue. I also won't have a booth in Vegas, so... Ah, all right, I'll find you on the floor. <laughs> no, Ed follows Channel Fireball rules and sticks to not buying or selling cards as not a licensed vendor. However, from personal experience, there is a very good table in the Westgate right across from the convention center, and if you put in a buy mat there and just start buying old school cards, it's totally legal. I follow all rules 100% of the time. Yep. I bought a ton of collections just sitting like pricing out cards with friends before we went over to sell to vendors. And then people are like, Oh, Hey, are you buying cards? And then, yeah, that happened. So I'm not banned from all future channel fire. No, I'm kidding. I'm not TSG. Uh, do you guys want to talk about anything else before we move on? Because we've already been recording for 50 minutes. You're a donk. Yes. Apparently Paul thinks I'm a donk. But it's okay because I pay my customs, honestly, and taxes. So that means you're not a dunk to Donald Trump, but you're a dunk, dunk to me. <laughs> uh, let's get in a pick of the week, especially since we've got two uh, high-end vendors on. Uh, who wants to start off? I think Travis, because he's never prepared for this, or Ed. Both of you guys are always racing to find a pick of the week. I knew, I actually did my research on a plane. Um, a Johnny Unyielding. Uh, people know I like like Infinity for standard cards. Like this one is one of those cards where it's that sweet spot of big and splashy. So it still has applications for casual EDH, etc. But this is the type of card where it has a very I, I feel like it has a very high power level. Like yes, it's six mana. Yes, it's two colors. But this is the type of thing where unchecked, like you could feasibly build a deck where it definitely takes advantage of this. Um. Its cost is relatively low. I think you can buy one TSG for probably about four, four twenty or so, four fifteen somewhere in there. Um, you don't need to buy a ton. Like you're not going to like you're not. It's not the type of card like Restore Balance that like some marginal deck would play like four of. Not that I'm saying Restore Balance is marginal, obviously, but um, it's relatively low cost if you want to get in. Like it doesn't really hurt. You will always be able to turn it to casual players and probably break even on it. Um, it's one of those standard, and if it does like take off in standard in any way, shape, or form, especially if we were expecting Amonkhet to be a slightly slower set as opposed to some of the super aggressive uh, standards we've seen in the past six months or so, it's very reasonable that like in mid-range mirrors, like this card is going to be king. 
Uh, all right, I'll go next. Um, Michael Jacobs, I believe his name is the uh, the pro, uh, posted on Twitter that he is eighteen and five, uh, and two of his losses are timeouts with a new Clark Clan Ironworks build. Um, doesn't really do anything we haven't seen before. Uh, looks like it's a fairly similar, familiar configuration. Um, but I mean, if the deck is anywhere near as good as advertised, it's going to put a lot more pressure on Clark Clan Ironworks, which is already extremely low supply. Copies are like ten to eleven dollars, so it's a little rough of a buy-in. But this would be like the second or third time it's gotten bought out, which means that there is no liquid supply left anymore. Um, so, so you know, if we ever see eggs do pretty well. Uh, expect cart client to shoot, shoot up to probably $20 or more. Cause there's just no copies in the world. Now Jim can go. Oh, okay. Um, so I've been looking at uh, a newer card that was spoiled called Vizier of the Menagerie. And, uh, it's pretty busted in EDH with a, also very expensive and probably underplayed commander, which is Animar, Soul of the Elements. Um, because you can basically make it cost everything in your deck cost one pretty easily and then play them all off the top of your deck. Uh, this really only has to happen once in your local EDH group before everyone realizes that it's busted and tries to buy either Animar or the Vizier. Uh, also, there's like this weird, really large spread between... Uh, TCG players pre-order prices and like store pre-order prices and I'm not quite sure that if there's going to be like a correction in which direction because uh, Star City right now has them for uh, $8, $9 sorry and the last sold listing on TCG player was $19.75 so I'm not really sure what's going on there but if you want to buy some of the cheaper ones I wouldn't fault you um, if you want to buy some Animars, that guy could also be very good. I'm actually probably going to buy one later today. Um, but I would I would keep an eye out on it. It's the kind of card that's a lot like Course of Crew Fix, where if it gets popular, you're probably going to play four. And even if it's not, like, right out the gate, it's going to be the best card in standard. It has four toughness, so it's, like, fairly insulated against the removal that people are likely to be playing in the first couple of weeks. So, I don't know. I, I like it. It's a very casual-oriented mythic. If your local store has them pre-ordering for, like, 5 or $6, that's probably the floor, and I'd probably get in there. Paul? Um, I have a couple. Basically, my main thing is just I really like Eternal Masters mythics right now. I think that trading into Jace is fine because I think that there's no downside, like, literally whatsoever to owning Mind Sculptors right now. I like Monocrypts. I think the thing that I would probably put money in is probably, if you're good for the long term, is probably Sneak Attack. Because one of the things I look for in these older reprinted sets is things that have cross-viability. So obviously Sneak Attack's good in Legacy, but more importantly, Sneak Attack's really good in EDH. And it's still only a Mythic and a Nurse's Saga. And so within a couple years, like, that card could just be $40 again if they keep on, like, hitting Commander decks out of the park, and there wouldn't really be an issue with it. Interesting to note. I'm also going to go with the red card. This one should be easy. It's a Planeswalker that's under $2. Is it a Chandra or is it a Tybalt? It is only... neither. It is neither? Correct. Is it just red? It it's... is just red. 
They don't print is, anyone other than those two. Is yeah, Duretti is Duretti under two dollars? Is that the yes, one? It it's not Duretti. Wait, what? But, what in the world? It's Sarkin the Dragon Speaker. This card is currently a dollar forty on TCG. I feel like this is free money, just like Gosh, trading enemies. Yeah, There's like no way you can get burned on this. I think that's literally under my buy price. Sell them to me. Say again, Paul. I think that's actually under my buy price. Just sell them to me. Uh, well, in that case, this donk is going to be picking that for the cast this week. Um, yeah, like Jim just said, this card used to be a billion dollars. It's obviously no longer has any play as far as competitive standard goes, but like it's a dragon. People are going to want to pick it up. Why not pick it up? It's a dollar. Like people who speculated on Tibble, that card actually went up a bit. So yeah, you can't really get burned on this. Uh, we got one more viewer question before we wrap this up. Uh, as always, we try to pick at least one uh, question from the people that are interacting with us live. Uh, Alfonso asked specifically for Ed and Paul, but I guess for everyone, hey, can you tell us how you ship items on eBay slash TCG player? I wrote an article about this. You should go read it. So did I. Mine's better. That's probably not true. Mine's freer. Yeah, mine is free. It was a while ago. Someone want to answer this question? Or are you guys just going to keep humble bragging? <laughs> Um, I mean, the if you want to ship with tracking, use PayPal shipping. Uh, it doesn't cost you the same amount as it does at the post office. It saves you a trip. It's all around just cheaper. If you're, I assume he's not saying for a store, but you can print the label on a regular piece of paper. You tape it to your bubble mailer, which you should also buy in bulk on like Amazon or whatever. And as long as you put it in a top loader and in a sleeve, then you should be good to go. That should be all you really need. Yeah. That's what I did before I started working for uh, started working for deals and I was doing it on my own. I literally did the exact same thing. PayPal shipping was great when I was on my own. Agreed. Do you guys use team bags or not? I use team bags, but um, they're like kind of expensive if you don't buy very many of them. Uh, I bought like a thousand because I'm an idiot and I just I'm going to have them till I die. I'm just probably going to suffocate in team bags gonna put them in my grave with me but uh they're great they help to protect the cards from the elements um multiple people have sent me messages on twitter after they bought cards from me and were like you know we really appreciate that you use the t the, the the plastic bag because it helps to keep the card from getting soggy if like the envelope ends up in a wet mailbox or a wet mailers or like a postal carriers you know bag or whatever it gets like rained in like it stops it from soaking up all the water because it's not the water tight but like it's pretty unreasonable for a whole ton of water to get in there yeah like uh, to kind of just go like briefly into a question without going into like hugely in depth like it depends on what your level of scale is uh for me i have like we have boxes of all sizes and bubble mailers of all sizes and then obviously regular plain white envelopes like that's probably overkill unless you're sending out a ridiculous number of orders realistically most people can probably get away with uh plain white envelopes for orders below x amount the x amount is where we want to set probably like 20 to 30 is like a safe number i imagine most vendors probably 99 percent of people will probably fall in that range uh, the like the very large ones, I know they actually raise that number probably somewhere closer to thirty five. I think it's kind of loose to ship out thirty five dollar order in a plain white envelope. Um, 
beyond that, you, all you really need are triple zero bubble bailers, which will fit, uh, I think, up to eight cards or so. And that's under, as long as that's under three ounces, it should be $2.61 through PayPal shipping. And beyond that, you can start shipping out cards. Uh, like if you ship bulk lots, like these, uh, this is a 500 count box that holds roughly 600 cards. Uh, you can use a 200 count boxes that holds about 250 cards for lots. Uh, beyond other than that, you basically just need to stuff the box. Uh, if you have this many, just stuff the box with uh, peanuts or whatever, and that should take care of probably 99% of your orders. Shout out to Ed for killing us with that background noise as usual. Uh, always on top of it. And, of course, Travis is answering his phone in the middle of the cast, as he normally does. Uh, so where can people reach you guys as we wrap this up? Uh, social media, shops, or just where your articles are? Uh, quick shout-out to Adrian. He uh, came up to the booth in Grand Prix, Mexico City, said hi, said he listened to me specifically on the podcast, that I had very good advice, unlike some of our other members here. Um, not that I've got point names or fingers. Uh, so quick shout out to him. It's always cool, I think, like to see that people all over the world just actually just listen to a podcast by four random idiots, because apparently I guess people want to listen to four random idiots talk about finance in a card game, but... That was cool. He deserves a shout-out. Uh, people can find me, Edwin13, on Twitter. I will not be anywhere for the foreseeable future. This is my fifth consecutive week on the road. I'm ready to be at the store and actually do normal people things for a few weeks. Uh, but there's that. Um, I don't have any shout-outs because I didn't go anywhere this weekend. But uh, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Modern Nexus usually every week, Gathering Magic every other week. And Twitter every day at PHROSD underscore. Paul. Uh, I'm Paul Fudo. You can find me at, I, th I don't remember what my Twitter handle is. I think it's PL Fudo at something or other. Um, I answer, I don't answer emails for the store, but I'm on Facebook. If you really, really want to talk to me, I, I guess I'll respond. Um, Otherwise, yeah, I'm on social media. I tweet about things about finance or Hearthstone or weird stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'd probably be at the booth at GP Vegas if you want to say hi. <laughs> Paul, your Twitter handle is literally your name right now. Dude, I have no idea, man. <laughs> you keep changing it. That's the problem. You need to just pick one and stop. If you want to have a good time in Vegas with Paul, you should ask him in advance to bring his no bandless modern decks. Those things are sweet to play. Even if you hate modern, no. you will probably like no. no you you will probably like no bandless modern. It's disgustingly fun. I played Hypergenesis back when we had a tournament. I actually that. had to. Uh, I broke the format, and it's no good anymore. Hypergenesis is actually too good in that format. It's a little frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> hey, is Travis going to go, or is he just going to be on the phone the entire time? I wonder. Survey says he's still on the phone, so I guess I'll go ahead. Uh, very professional of him. Uh, shout out to the proxy guy. For those of you who follow us on Twitter, and if you don't, you should, we completely redid our logos. We got new what skins. Oh, look, here we go. Well, let me continue talking since you are clearly too busy with something else. Yeah, I got a phone uh, call from work. Yeah, like I said, too busy. Uh, so anyway, the proxy guy came out with brand new... Uh, 
skins and everything for our brand. And apparently, uh, I don't know, the other cast members want to monetize us at some point to recoup their time investments so that they can spend time during the cast talking to work. Uh, I don't know, like apparently After Hours is real popular on other podcasts, but ours would just be like straight up flaming each other for political views and monetary wealth. Travis, where can people find you guys now that you're off the phone? Uh, you can always call my cell phone. I'm also available at uh, Twitter, uh, Wizard Bump and BMPIN. I write for MTG Price every Monday. Uh, I do the MTG Fast Finance podcast. And if you like playing magic, find magic at scry.land. And another shout out to uh, Quiet Speculation. They just did a very good podcast with the CEO of Channel Fireball. And uh, the other guy whose name is at the guy on the left, but I always forget his actual name because I can't pronounce it. It's like Mashi or something, but I'm I'm scared I'll pronounce that wrong. Um, basically, it was a two-hour podcast delving into the backside of running events and how they got started. And I found it way better than the quote-unquote fast finance three-and-a-half-hour cast of Dan Bach. Uh, although Dan is a very interesting person, if you're friends with him on Facebook, it was definitely not a fast cast. Uh, but if you're trying to get an insight onto Channel Fireball events and what's going to come from that, and you're not a vendor that's in a position that talks to them face-to-face, it's a good podcast to listen to. Um, are there any other shout-outs this week? Shout-out to uh, Money Draught for giving us a shout-out. We actually got a spike in traffic from that. And we're over 100,000 impressions since we started uploading to SoundCloud and iTunes, which is real nice. Because uh, we've been recording for 17 months now, I think. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic. We'll be hosting a Legacy Wena Lotus, actually the one sitting right behind me over here, uh, in two weeks, and we're sold out. So Legacy is clearly not dead. Thanks for listening to Cartel Aristocrats Cast Number 49, and we'll see you guys as always without Paul next week. <laughs>